Hey, we've been in this series called uh, Confessions of a Recovering Christian, and I'll finish that series next week, uh, but today uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. And in uh, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is telling a parable, and uh, he's talking about what's going to happen at the end of days in the final judgment. And uh, this really is kind of a fascinating story the way Jesus tells it because Jesus is telling a story here and uh, he's in a series of parables here in Matthew 25. And when he gets to this one, uh, the entitled emboldened statement above the text beginning in verse 31 and most Bible says the final judgment or Jesus and the final judgment because the teaching is a story about a king and the king begins to separate people all around his kingdom, and he separates them into sheep and goats. Now, I've heard a lot of pastors use this context, and I've heard a lot of them use it out of context because it's pretty easy to take something like this and say, okay, all of you who are followers of Jesus, you're sheep, and all of you who aren't are goats, but now, I don't believe that's the context here at all. I believe the context here is that Jesus is teaching us that the king, which is a picture of him, at the end of times will separate people and nations between righteous and unrighteous. Not meaning that anything is a political statement. Next week is the end of Confessions of a Recovering Christian where we're talking about politics. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with that? But, uh, but today, we, we're looking at Jesus' teaching about the final judgment. And the final judgment, in the text in a minute, it will tell you that he's separating sheep and goats, and he sends one group to the right, one to the left. Don't read anything political into it because there's nothing political about it. It is literally just a separation. But I think it's important to know that when Jesus is talking about sheep, remember this text. We all like sheep have gone astray. That Psalm 23 is written from the perspective of the sheep, meaning that Jesus is the good shepherd. And so when we read this, understand that what Jesus is telling us, he's telling a story about how they're broken into two segments, and one segment is a group that is chosen and is called the righteous ones because they have been forgiven of their sins and they have been given life, new life in Christ. And the other side has not, all right? So I really want you to hear me, please. We live in a world today where you say right and left and everybody think it's political. There is nothing political about this statement at all, but it is a very spiritually telling story. So look with me, beginning in verse 31 in chapter 25 of the Gospel of Matthew. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, it's important to know that when he's talking about nations, that he's not talking about nations in the sense of uh, Canada, Mexico, USA. He's talking about nations as in people groups, meaning languages and belief and faith systems, all right? So, Jesus, throughout the, the, the Gospels and throughout all of the New Testament, we read a lot about the nations. And when we hear about the nations, we're hearing about all the different people groups. You're sitting in here today, and you might in this room represent a people group, but odds are good, you represent several, all right? And so, he's saying we're all going to come together, and we're going to be separated by these two things. Then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my Father inherit the kingdom prepared for you 
from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Now, Jesus goes through this list, and he says to those folks that have been separated and they've called the righteous ones, he says, when you did all of these things, he's pointing them out. And I believe Jesus is being very specific for a reason. I do believe if you took this and you took the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5, you'd find a lot of similarities about what Jesus says, blessed are the people that. And I believe you could almost continue the Beatitudes in Matthew 25 where he says, hungry, fed, thirsty, gave me drink, stranger, invited me in, naked, clothed me, sick, cared for me, prison, visited me. He's very specific about these things. Now, what do we know about these? We know these things matter to the Lord. Now, they matter to the Lord because in talking to people in the context of that time, all of these things were happening at the same time. These were major issues in their culture. So, let me stop and just remind you. When we read Scripture, it is always important to remember what was the context in which it was written because if you understand the context in which it was written, you can understand the context in which it's meant. Right? So when you read these things, what do we know? These same things are prevalent in our society and culture today. And even in a relatively affluent society like we live in right now in the northern part of Gwinnett County in Atlanta, Georgia, many of these things don't happen to you in this room. But I'll promise you that our part of the world, we don't get to skip these problems. They're at our door day after day. People come into this church every single day that need help. There are people in this room right now that came today and they need help. And there are people who will show up at the North Gwinnett Co-op day after day after day and they need help. And unless the church stands up to try to help these folks in need, what will happen is the government will continue to believe that they have to. And the honest truth is, folks, the only reason the government stepped in to have to do it is because we as believers stopped doing it. And if we take that responsibility seriously and know that that's our job, we would partner with people like the North Gwinnett Co-op and ensure that they have food, they have ways to get people shelter, they have ways to welcome and minister to people in need, just like we would do and just like you would do. But Jesus goes on in verse 37 and says, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, now right there, we know why they're righteous. Jesus, Jesus is telling the story that the, po the folks that he said, you are the righteous ones, they replied with this one word and how they addressed Jesus. They addressed him as Lord. To address Jesus as Lord is to recognize that he is the only savior for their life. He is the only forgiver of their soul. He is the only one who could give them heaven. He is the only one that could bring them present and eternal peace. Because you see, the Bible says that when we call on the name of the Lord, he hears us and answers our prayer. And we know this because the Lord's prayer tells us that as well. We know all through the scriptures that the picture of Lord is that Jesus owns us. Not in the way of an owner and a slave, but in the way of a loved one that says, I trust in you and you alone. In you are where I find my sustenance. In you is where I find my cover. In you is where I find everything I need, including peace in my life. And Jesus says, these folks who call me Lord, they said, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you 
or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will tell them, I assure you, when you did it to one of the least of these, now listen to these words, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Now, the story starts with the king and ends with a king. And everything in between tells us who the king is. The king could only be who the Lord is, the one and only Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, Jesus, the word, the son of the living God. This is the king in the story. I know it even more so when the king said, let me assure you to the righteous ones, brothers and sisters. You see, when we choose to give our life to Christ, we become joint heirs with Jesus. We become children of the living God. We become brothers and sisters with Jesus himself. And when he gives that away, his lordship, his deity is seen straight through because he says, I want you to know when you did all those things, brothers and sisters, you did them to me. Now, what Jesus is making a big point of here is this, that this is a big deal to him, that when we care for people in need, it's a big deal. Now, you say, but, but Chuck, what I'm worried about are all these things. I don't know that I've ever welcomed somebody in. I'm not sure that I've, I've ever cared for somebody sick. Well, let me just go a little bit further. Because those conditions were then and those conditions are today, what we know is as we've continued to mature and develop in more wickedness, more sinfulness, and as human beings... We also have a ton of challenges and problems that aren't on this list. That still mean that there are many of us in this room are the least of us. This isn't just people that are poor. These are people who may be in need. These are folks who may be broken or lonely. These are folks that might indeed have mental illness. These are folks at the least of these where God doesn't rank our sin, but God also doesn't rank our need. God doesn't look at your need and say, wow, that's not that bad. We're going to put it on hold for a while because i got to fix Chuck. God looks at our needs and he knows it's a big deal to you, so he steps into your life simultaneously while he steps into the other needs. Many of us sitting right here, right now, we are the least of these, but most of us know what it means when we see and represent and understand the least of these. I want to do something uh, real quick, and so I'm going to count on, uh, on my watch. And I want you to, I'm going to give you a minute. And in that minute, what I'd like to do is uh, I would love for you to be able to think of every food that you love. And then I want you to count how many of those foods you have, you have thought and named in your head for 60 seconds for one minute. I want you to think of every food you love for one minute, count how many they are as you go. No taking off shoes, using toes, but just, if you got to use a calculator, go ahead and pull it out, all right? But let's, let's get going. You ready? Go.
20 seconds. Think hard. Some of y'all are stressing out about this. <laughs> 10. Done. If you have at least 25 items, stand up. At least 25 items, stand up. Gluttons. And... Uh, like I got room to talk. And uh, all right, if you have at least 35, stay standing up. If you've got at least 40, remain standing. These people standing went for one a second. If, if you've got at least 50, stay standing up. Valerie, you're kidding. You're the most healthy human I know. That's unbelievable. All right, so uh, Aaron, no, you're out. All right, so I just got one. I got Valerie. They made you say, all right. So, Valerie, you win. You get to go to the store after this and get anything you want from the store. All right, so very good. I thought of things like fried chicken, mashed potatoes with uh, white pepper gravy, cornbread with butter running out of the side of it, maybe some green beans, and at the end, coconut pie. Bless my soul. I thought about lasagna, the kind when you bring it up, you got to twirl it around your fork, and even when you do, it drips down your chin and gets on the white shirt, and you don't care. Yeah. I thought about pancakes with bananas and pecans and no sugar-free syrup. <laughs> Did you know what? That uh, right now, more than a billion people are starving on this planet. Did you know that 36 million people will die of hunger? Did you know that in that one minute that we were thinking about all the good things that I love to eat and you do, 68 people around the world died because they didn't have food. And that every five seconds, a little boy or girl under five years of age dies of hunger. We throw enough food out in the state of Georgia alone to put a dent in that. And I'm so grateful that we have a partner in the North Gwinnett Co-op that feeds so many people. You know all those backpacks, those hundreds of backpacks we fill uh, during the school year? Uh, they pick up the slack for us over at the co-op all through the summer. Our church could never meet every need in this part of our world. And, and we, we need to send people to the co-op day after day after day, and it happens almost every day. And almost every day, the North Gwinnett Co-op stops in, and they somehow, they step in and help and make a difference. And uh, one of their partners, uh, a really great partner, uh, had to take a, a short break from some of their uh, financial commitments. And it, it's leaving the co-op with about a $13,000 shortfall. And so at the end of our time today, I'm going to ask you if you would be so kind to help us meet that shortfall. A uh, 100% is going directly to the co-op. The church doesn't keep a dime of this. It all goes straight there. 
Uh, you'll be able to give on the app. You can give online. You can write a check. You can do cash. You can drop a check by this week. You can mail a check by. You can send a check directly to co-op. You can do whatever. Uh, if you're going to drop it in the basket, just make it to church, and we'll turn right around and write a check to the co-op this week. But uh, I had the privilege of speaking at uh, the co-op's volunteer banquet a month or two ago, and while I was there, of course, Kim and her family and Carrie, they're just so gracious folks, and I had the privilege of sitting at the table with uh, just some really incredible folks, Ricky and Dana Ortiz. Ricky, come on up. And uh, this is Ricky Ortiz, the fullback with the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, he's going to come up and share a little bit about uh, his story and what's going on. But uh, I'd love for you to give him a Sugar Hill Church welcome. This guy, uh, I told the 930 crowd, I, I love his story so much that honestly, I'm, I'm grateful he is a ball player for our Atlanta Falcons. Uh, but honestly, I, I like this dude. I mean, the story alone, he's just a good dude, man. Love you, buddy. Thanks for coming on back. I'm going to do this to you again. Can you believe they showed that video a second time? That was yeah. awful, man. I didn't yeah. believe it. I looked a lot like you with that shirt, right? You do. You do. That hurt. <laughs> Literally, that hurt. Uh, so, uh, Ricky uh, played at Oregon State, and while at Oregon State, uh, met and married Dana, his incredible wife, incredible athlete. Uh, Dana's a volleyball player at OSU, and uh, so we're just, man, we're thrilled that you would uh, give us some time. Y'all been hanging around Sugar Hill Church some, and we're so grateful. And uh, also know that you and Dana uh, give uh, of your time and service and uh, efforts to uh, Kim and the North Gwinnett Co-op, but there's a reason why you do. When I heard that story, I thought, my stars, I, our folks need to hear uh, that story. And especially, man, this fall when we get to watch you a little bit, it's like, I know that dude, and I know that's a good dude. And uh, I'll promise you, this is a good guy. But tell us a little bit. T first, let's kind of go back to the beginning. And tell us a little bit about your childhood and what things were like growing up uh, with your dad and your family and what that felt like, looked like, and uh, just get us started. Okay. So I grew up in a suburban city in Southern California. Uh, called uh, Corona, and uh, it was in a single-parent household with just my father. Um, my mother was absent at the time due to drugs and alcohol, and uh, my brother had been going in and out of prison. Um, I hardly got to see my mom. When I did, it was on visitation weekends, and when I saw her, I used to see my brother doing meth. Uh, I used to see... Uh, him getting into domestic disputes. There were times where we actually brought him to prison uh, to turn himself in. Uh, yeah, so I remember that when I would come back to my father, uh, I would be just still, just quiet. Um, wouldn't say a word, just kind of kept it to myself. Well, that in and itself is, that in itself is a brutal process when you think about it. I mean, you You've taken your brother to prison, and your mom's dealing with addiction, and so then when you, when you see them, you come home, and you just kind of got to be okay for dad. So something inside all this just kind of gets... Yeah, that had a lot to do with not seeing my mom. So when I did get the opportunity to see her, that's why I kept it to myself. I would keep it quiet because it was my mom. I would have to uh, keep it inside because I loved her so much still that uh, I wouldn't want to give that up. Yeah. 
But when I did come home, my, uh, my father's straight, narrow-ended, uh, complete, op- complete opposite, polar opposite, good guy, <laughs> good guy. Um, we struggled with uh, just moving place to place. We were a low-income family. And, uh, okay, hang on. Uh, for many of these folks here, low-income family means they had to stay at the Hampton Inn for vacation. All right? They may not understand what you mean by low income. I mean, oftentimes in our affluent society, society, we can assume that low income family means I can pay my bills, but I can't have a boat. You know? So help, help us understand what you mean by low income. Yeah, so I would come home uh, to a cupboard with two cans of food, and we'd have to ration, ration our portions off for the week. And, and uh, there were times that we went to uh, the co-op in, in Corona, and we would actually come home with the same uh, bag that we actually help serve to uh, people in need right now at the North Gwinnett Co-op, and it would be that just brown paper bag. You'd have your loaf of bread and everything you need for the, the day, and, and, uh, and really just to get you through those next few days, and that, that was... Uh, it is kind of cool when you think about the fact that as a kid, you receive this bag, and now, as a, as a grown married man, that you're helping pack and distribute these bags. I mean, that's a pretty cool circle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, at the end of the day, it's just rewarding to, yeah. to be able to serve those who, who actually need it and know that you were once in their shoes yeah, is, right. is just big time. I mean, right. it's, it's, uh, it's humbling. It's a humbling experience for anybody who goes. But when you're actually... Uh, someone who has been at, you know, in need at, in, and, and, have, and have been able to seek that help from the same type of help, like a co-op, it's, it's, uh, it's that much more rewarding. I mean, honestly, without, uh, without organizations like the North Gwinnett Co-op in Southern California, when you're growing up, I mean, odds are good, you're, you may not have gone to school and played ball, you may not have been playing in the NFL for sure, and you may not even be sitting here today. And yet somehow the Lord orchestrated and used not just uh, co-ops, but people around you to kind of uh, launch you, if you will, toward where you're at right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's awesome about that is that not only while growing up, to explain the the moving part, is that we were going place to place. We were living in garages. Uh, We were living in rooms for rent. Uh, We were living in apartments without furniture. Um, we were in churches, literal, literal churches and dens on top. Uh, so just to, to have that and then also have church families that actually care about you and took us in and uh, just sacrificed so much but for us. But that's a big was, deal. I mean, you it, think about it. That it really is. It's one of the tasks we have as a body of believers. It's something that, we, that Jesus took seriously. We ought to take seriously. But I heard in, uh, when we were chatting over at Kim's a volunteer dinner. How old were you when you got your first, listen to this, y'all. How old were you when you got your first real, this is my bed? 13, yeah. So you went until you're 13 years old without having your own bed? Yes. I just want that to sink in for a minute. This is the beauty of uh, how somebody, the Lord can use when it doesn't appear as though you got everything together. But I mean, you seem like a dude that's kind of got your stuff together. I mean, I'm I'm giving Dana credit for all that, but I mean, we're just kind of, from the outside looking in, you look like a dude that's got it figured out. But the good news is that there was a time where you didn't. 
and the Lord had put people in your life. Tell us a little bit about how you and Dana got together and the Im impact she's had on your life. Well, we met in college, and uh, she's, she's been, honestly, it was, uh, it was another part of my life where I was struggling. Uh, I was turning my life around, uh, had some, some stuff I needed to get uh, straight, and, and I had, and God had placed her specifically into my life, and uh, it was the biggest blessing. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be the man that I am today without her, so I say that, I say that wholeheartedly because um, without her, I wouldn't have been able to grow as a Christian. I wouldn't, I mean, I was pushed to serve, serve. I was pushed to go to community groups and uh, actually be a part of the community. And, and for me, it was hard because growing up, that was, that was always, I was, I was very closed, closed in and, and uh, my spirit was very on fire. It was just not open yet. And she brought that out of me. Yeah, I, I know that one of these days we're going to convince Dana to get up here with mm. us because uh, she's a pretty amazing human. And I, I just know that with a guy like you, uh, help, help me understand in all of your story how you kind of got from single dad and uh, brother in prison, mom kind of absent from your life. How did you get from, from California and wind up at OSU? So, just, yeah. All right. So, <laughs> we so oh, well. To yeah, I didn't ask off, you that last to time. Start off, yeah. it's like, <laughs> to start off, it was, uh, we went to high school, or I went to high school in, uh, in Orange County, Modern Day High School. My dad sacrificed a lot to get me into that school. Um, and I wasn't highly recruited out of high school. So there was a time at, in my senior year, I had no idea where I was going, obviously. And uh, I ended up calling 40 different colleges asking for an opportunity. And none of those returned my phone call, and it was very awkward, but it, 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 uh, one day I received a, a call from Oregon State University and they offered my major, which was perfect, agricultural sciences, which is what I was passionate about and I still am. And um, they also offered me the opportunity to play football there and walk on. So I walked on to Oregon State University. I received a scholarship after two seasons because I was starting at fullback, I started at Y, started at linebacker. Um, then I came out of college as an undrafted free agent, uh, went to the Ravens. My first season with the Ravens, my rookie year, I was about to start my first NFL football game and I tore my MCL uh, in practice. Oh. So I got cut, I came back, I got cut again, just personnel purposes, uh, prayed to God that <laughs> I would have another opportunity somewhere. And sure enough, he heard. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Uh, so it I was remember. It your prayer or Dana's prayer? Because it, was, it was mine and hers. We were praying oh, together. Okay. So this was one night uh, right after this had happened. It was about, I think it was a week into the limbo period of, yeah. of sports. And, and we, I was praying. I was just like, God, like, if you want me to be somewhere, like, that's, that's great. And I want you to take it and to be in your hands. And, and sure enough, that next morning, uh, we, we received a phone call from uh, my agent who told me that I was gonna have a workout with the Falcons. And uh, first thing I told Dana was, you know, whoever works me out first is gonna be the first one who gets me. Wow. And I went to the workout. It was all said and done, had a great workout. Um, and uh, they were like, well, we got 90 guys already. We have 
however many fullbacks, three fullbacks, uh, and uh, we're just going to call you back. And I was like, okay, but listen to this. The moment I leave here, I'm going to start getting worked out by other teams. And the next team that, that works me out is going to pick me up. They call back, call to the management, say, hey, Ricky, we're going to take you. We're going we're gonna to bring you in. You're going to uh, compete with the other three, and we're going to see how you do. Beat out the other three, and yeah. uh, I'm into my first Woo! like start as an NFL. How cool is that? Season, and, yeah, you know, yeah, that is awesome, man. I uh, I am so glad that you play for our hometown Falcons. I really am. If I if I had to get in a foxhole, I want to get one with you. <laughs> Preferably, you're in front of me, and uh, that is the job of the fullback. So, yeah. man, that would be that would be pretty awesome. But I, I do know that um, it had to be just quite a rush to. Uh, to step on an NFL field and know you belong there and compete at the highest level. And what's rewarding, and what I was getting through all that is uh, we're never in control right. of what, and that's, that's the biggest thing. When I tore my MCL, when I got cut by the Ravens and then cut again, um, we, it, it's a humbling experience because it, it's teaching us that, you know, at the end of the day, the Lord, it's God's plan. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not ours. Yeah. And that was the biggest thing. So by the time I got to where I needed to be and I felt like that was where God was placing me, it was, it was when I, <laughs> I wasn't anxious, and I told this a lot, but I wasn't anxious, but I was very at peace when I was starting wow. my first game. I was like, I'm meant to be here. This is where God has placed me. And uh, that, that's why I've been through the trials that I've been through. We've been, you know, I, I, grew, I grew through those. I was placed with amazing people by my side to get through all those trialing yeah. times that served me, the church families that served me, Amen. my wife that serves, served me at that time, my best friend who serves me, like, and... Uh, and uh, the Lord just didn't yeah, build us to do this alone. Yeah, you know? exactly. And nobody, I told the kids at middle school camp, the, day, the night I got saved, uh, Bill Glass, a former NFL all-pro uh, defensive lineman, he was preaching the night I got saved. And uh, at, at dinner earlier in that, that week, because he stayed in our home, uh, I, I asked him, I said, Mr. Glass, well, how do you get to become an all-pro NFL ball player? And the very first thing he said to me was, well, number one, man, the Lord's got to orchestrate all of that in your life. And number two, you can never do it alone. Yeah. You know, and when I heard you at 930, I thought that's, that's the very same testimony I, I heard, you know, 39 years ago, 40 years ago. I, I just, it's absolute, well, a lot longer than that now that I think about it. But I, it's, just, <laughs> it's just fascinating because at the end of the day, what the Lord has done in your life is he's used ministries like a co-op churches like Sugar Hill, uh, leaders like folks that are sitting here. And, and honestly, I'd, I'd rather play for Quinn than Harbaugh. So, I mean, you know, this is kind of a good deal. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I look at the whole picture of how the Lord has you here, I think what, what an unbelievable opportunity for our church to love on y'all a little bit and for you to be able to serve our co-op with such a wonderful way. And uh, let me tell you something, folks. With all the junk you hear about professional sports in the news today, man, take heart. That here, here's a young couple that is literally completing a cycle that says, at one time I was in desperate need of that, but today we give back. Uh, and I just find that to be one of the most refreshing things. Man, I can't wait to cheer for you this fall. And uh, we're all going to. Uh, we're for you, man. Yes. And so... Uh, 
I want to pray for you. And while I do, I want to invite our, our team to come forward. We're going to take up a second offering for the North Gwinnett Co-op. And I, I want to urge you folks, listen, uh, if you're in that camp that, and I know y'all are there and it's okay. Uh, if you're in that camp, so that doggone it, Chuck, could you just stop asking for money? Um, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a break for June, for the rest of June and, and July, part of August. And, uh, but I, I just say, man, listen, there's, there's no more worthy cause than doing this. Let me read this again before I pray for you. I was hungry and you fed me, thirsty and you gave me drink, a stranger when you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And Jesus said, when you do those things, you've done them not only in my name, but you, you've done them to me as well. Buddy, I'm grateful to know that uh, you're on his side and uh, we stand with you. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for my friend Ricky, for Dana, for their uh, passion for you, for their desire to serve people and care for people. God, keep him healthy. Give him an incredible year this year. And uh, I pray his testimony would only grow. His story would only get louder and longer. And Lord, that uh, you'd bless he and Dana richly for their uh, ministry and service. God, as we have an opportunity to return to you through this ministry of the North Gwinnett Co-op, God, I pray we'd meet every single penny of that $13,000 need. God, I pray we'd even exceed it. And that folks that could give in massive ways that they do it for folks that can give pennies they do it for folks that can give online or on the app or write a check or cash or God I pray you just speak into our life God I, I don't ask you to draw people out to give grudgingly so Lord I would just ask you to give folks a joyful heart to give let our hearts be soft enough to know that this is a great need to minister and to care for people in this community God uh, we're grateful today that when we do this in your name, we're doing it for you. And it might be the recipient of someone who doesn't even know you yet, but I pray through this service they would. And through this ministry, they would know you face to face and they'd know you heart to heart. And so, Lord, we give you this time for every penny, for every blessing. And we're grateful for you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And everybody said, amen. So let's worship the Lord. And as after that basket comes by you, you just stand up and join us. Ricky, I love you, buddy. I'm so Thank grateful you. for you, man. Thank you.
thank you again, man. Dana, thank you for being here with us, y'all. We, uh, we're going to claim you as ours, man, and we're praying for you. Go out there and kill it this fall. And whatever you do, beat them nasty old saints. That's what we need you to do. And you know what, y'all? When you go out of here, go do that to the least of these. Love on folks. And I promise you, when you do, you can go in peace. Bye-bye.